And welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. That was a wonderful, wonderful sounds of Nirvana there and Lonely Boy from the Story of Simon Simapef album from 1967. I have got the massive honour and privilege to welcome not only one member of Nirvana, but two members of Nirvana, Patrick Campbell-Lyons and Alex Sparapoulos here. Welcome, Patrick, and welcome, Alex. Welcome. Welcome, yes, us. <laughs> you both have uh, chosen four of your personal favourites oh, yeah. from the new forthcoming uh, Nirvana Song Life 6LP box set. You've also chosen four each of your own personal favourite tracks, uh, particularly songs that are influential to you. So we're going to group parts of the show in relation to that. And, and we're kicking yeah. off with Alex with his four favourite tracks from this box set but before we discuss lonely boy maybe we should just talk briefly about song life so the the albums have been uh, remastered so that i assume they sound as good as ever and also importantly on lp this time with extensive booklet copies of new paper clippings and that kind of thing so it does feel like it there's uh, no expense spared really in terms of the quality of that an original black and white picture is never seen before by Garrett Mankovich. wow and also 
an album that nobody's ever heard called Secrets, our musical. Fantastic. And we we could get to hear a couple of those tracks from Secrets oh. in this show as well, which is uh, really good to hear. And uh, we can talk about that album as we get to that material. Sure, sure. We kicked off with Lonely Boy, and certainly in relation to that album and, and much of Nirvana's material, there doesn't seem to be no expense spared in terms of the arrangements and the lushness of that. So, Alex, uh, why did you pick uh, Lonely Boy in particular? And maybe are just observations or memories in relation to the recording of that song and you know the orchestration. Yes, yes, yes. Well, <clears throat> in a way, I, I had just met Patrick. We hadn't written anything really before. I remember him coming in Shepherd's Bush to my place. I lived in a little attic at the top, you know, of the house. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had just uh, written the music of it and maybe a verse. And the relationship, the professional relationship was so flowing and easy. We started with that. Pat liked that a lot, the idea. He finished it off. And a whole series of other songs somehow before we did that LP. Because before the album, you always used to have a single, and this sometimes goes on even today. So we had Tiny Goddess out, and yeah. and another song, maybe Pentecost Hotel, came out, followed that. And then the boss always, the black, black world, you know, as you do usually with bands, let's do an album. And that's how Lonely Boy, that's, it, that's how it fitted into a really beautiful story for grown-ups and for, for children, you know. Uh, because in a way it's very naive at the same time uh, there's so much room for fantasy it's a tale it's a tale from the big from lonely boy who was just very young and a bit sad until the end which is okay there's a happy ending uh, but in a way lonely boy relates as well to the immigrants today you know he could have been a, a young immigrant i was thinking the other day about that Fact. Well, we were immigrants. You know, yeah, we were immigrants ourselves. Yeah, I mean, in a way, not, not in today's condition. When we came to London, yeah. you know, I remember coming to London and uh, one of the signs I saw somewhere around some pubs was uh, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well. No, I, I, I didn't get these feelings, you know, so no, but... Uh, well, European, maybe it was a bit different, especially as you came through France as well. Yeah, know? that's true. But yeah. anyhow, that's how London was at that time. But well, yeah, I can see the... That feeling about Lonely Boy also. But it's also a great vocal that you did. Yeah, it's a good vocal. Yeah. We're very, you know, we're very pure in those days. No, that, that doesn't mean that we are perverts today. But I'm <laughs> and a fabulous, uh, <laughs> fabulous Sid Dale arrangement. I mean, yeah. Our arranger did, I mean, that's thanks to Blackwell, Chris Blackwell, who gave us this arranger, because he immediately had a, like a, almost like a concept of the whole thing. And he said, that's your man. So uh, we are very grateful to this arranger because he gave us an incredible style with cellos and flutes and harps. So we did sound a bit kind of different in our own way. You've next picked the title track of, of your next album, All of Us. How did you sort of approach the writing and recording for the next album? Was it just a continuation of, of the first? No, well, or did you decide to change? It's a technical, little technical detail of yeah. great importance for anybody. I've never done that in my life, but one day before doing this song, I played a tape backwards, and I thought the sequence of chords were so interesting. And I played it to Pat and to our, our producer at the time, a man called Jimmy Miller, who, you know, was made. Yeah. For himself, he came from America with a hit called "Green My Green Tambourine." You probably know the song, yeah. yeah. And I played him that backward tape and the chords, and then it took off from there. 
uh, and it became all of us. It, it, it was omnibus at the beginning, but as it was used for a movie, we changed it to all of us. And I think it has the full meaning as all of us. And it became the title track of the album. And the title track of that movie, of that movie as well. Yeah, it was The Touchables, wasn't it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So I had three titles, really. Touchables, All of Us, and Omnibus. And Omnibus, <laughs> yeah. But many songs go like through the stages, yeah. All of us, Omnibus. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, that, that's what I wanted to to mention about all of us. It, it's a great song, I think, because it concerns us all. Even you know? today. Especially. We've got to find a place to be on our own. Especially, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I'm on my own now. <laughs> Your next choice is Illinois from the uh, Black Flower album, yeah. where you continued that orchestral and lush sound. What was it about that track that stood out for you then? On our third album together, I felt that we matured a lot. So in my mind, I'd heard Jimmy Webb, I'd heard Bird Backrack, and I, I progressed a lot in my uh, chord progressions. 
And I think that the third album, Black Flower, is a very mature album compared, for instance, to Simon Bassett from um, for a harmonic point of view and from lyrics point of view. It's a very mature album. The fact that it's got that kind of a man and a woman Frenchy arrangements, bit lushy strings and so on, it gives it a, a complete personality. But unfortunately, Island Records didn't go for that kind of sound. So at that moment, we did part. But Illinois is a great song, I think. Oh, yeah. Blackwell said it was like the uh, movie, the music from the movie of a man and a woman, didn't it? Well, yeah, in a, way. Like in a way. She didn't want that kind of music because, you know, she has a different kind of they were going a different way. Yeah, bringing more, mm. more reggae music and then all these known artists of those days, you know, who hasn't been through Ireland, yeah? But that's the good thing about that, that album, Black Flower Now, is that people recognise it for the, the album that it is rather than the vagaries of the sound at the time. Totally. There were only 100 copies, promotional copies, and then the company folded down. I mean, it just disappeared. And that album now is uh, like, yeah, it comes to the light. But it is a very mature album, you know. This last string don't bother me. No. At all. It's personality and it's class. Tell 
we mentioned it at the start of the show. The brilliant thing about this box set that it also features the the Secrets album. Last time I spoke to Patrick, um, you know, he was recording under the Nirvana name on his own. So, what was the background behind the Secrets uh, recordings then? Because I think you've you've chosen Freedom Chaser, which brings a twist to um, Rainbow Chaser. Very much so, yeah. Well, you know, when you write musicals, you develop uh, as time goes by. You have a script, then maybe you're not that happy, and then you you work on a new script. Eventually, we met a guy from New York who star who wrote. A full script about, uh, what's her name, Pat? Well, first of all, it was... Uh, no, but what was the name of the girl who has to he be... He did a story with Patty Hearst. Patty Hearst was, was brainwashed, you know, and her father paid a man to de-brainwash her, you know. Then it was a vampire story? At the very uh, beginning, yeah. yeah. Eventually, when it was finalized with a final story on it, which we probably have, of which you have a copy probably, we tried to find financiers and, and backers. But you know how difficult it is. And in the end, it ended up on a shelf. Well, honestly, it was a big, you know, it demanded quite a bit of money. I mean, I know the Rocky Horror Show was started outside London somehow and then came into that famous little theatre. Well, we were nearly there. But, we, but, but it never got uh, that close, you know. And especially if you have a child, no, uh, especially if you uh, are not born into the world of, uh, of theatre, which we were not, you know. So our contacts were very difficult. So who was on vocals on on that song? Uh, quite a few no, name artists from uh, yeah. from here. Right. I think you're as well. A few friends. Yeah, Everybody a few took in turns uh, the lines. Uh, one uh, of the main lead vocalists is a guy called Pete Kircher. All right. Who was in Honey Bus as a drummer. In status quo. And then was in status quo for a while. Yeah. Yeah, he has the lead. Uh, he has the lead, I think, yeah. But there's a lot of people in in the chorus of our music. Yeah, there are people yeah. like Vince Edwards, Cookie Eaton. Um, Some female um, singer of those days. Taliki Ashman. Yeah. Anyway. We, yeah, there's a bunch of hair people, original cast members. Yeah. I happen to know them through a guy called Patrick Joseph Kelly, who was the keyboard player and conductor of the orchestra pit, musicians in hair. And he's a musician I worked with then. When Alex and I had a bit of a uh, hiatus lives, yeah. together, um, or hiatus from each other, shall we say, and um, he got involved with me on local anaesthetic. So there's history there.
next we come to you, Patrick, and, and we actually talk about some of your favourite influential songs here, and we have sort of four of them. And first of all, an artist who has an overriding influence over the music and, and literature, which is Bob Dylan and, and Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat. I mean, you, you could pick so many Bob Dylan tracks. What was it about this one? Was it just the, um, the forcefulness of this? I think it was the one of the first records, I, because I was a lover of uh, rhythm and blues, and um, I bought an album in Portobello Road in 1966, uh, Paul Butterfield Blues Band. And um, I was in love with that album. And I had another album called the Cham- with the Chambers Brothers, which was like psychedelic blues a little bit. Both those albums kind of were with me for a couple of years. I, I didn't really get off on Bob Dylan with all his original blown in the wind things. And kind of I preferred even Donovan a bit more. Not that I listened to too much of the English music anyhow, because I was listening mostly to American music. And um, I think you'll notice most all my tracks that I pick are American. Mm-hmm. When I heard Dylan with this, like kicked in straight away, and then I studied the lyric for a bit, and I just thought to myself, this is the white man sings the blues, you know. I don't think, I, I don't think I've ever heard anything better. I can't 
You mentioned your your love of rhythm and blues, Patrick, and, and next we have one of the definitive songs of, of that genre, uh, Howling Wolf and, and Smokestack Lightning. When we spoke before, you, you mentioned how you, some of your early bands over here were, were that, that R&B sound as well. The bands that were in Ealing, where I came when I came Yeah, from, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I first came from Ireland to Ealing, I, had, I started a band called The Second Thoughts. I had a small band before that, but I happened to fall in with a crowd of musicians there because Jim Morrison's music shop was in that area as well, in Hanwell. So, so there was a congregation there. And um, like, say, I knew John McVie. He was in a band called The Crusaders. Speedy Keane, who was in The Crusaders, who later became the drummer of The Second Thoughts with me, who went on to write Something in the Air. Well, I was very close with Speedy. I mean, he died far too young, sadly. And um, one day John McVie said to me, because uh, he lived just around the corner in West Ealing, from the Wimpy Bar, where we used to all meet. And he said, oh, come around, I want to play you something. And um, he was the first person who ever played me Smokestack Lightning by Howlin' Wolf. And he was learning it on the bass. Uh, <laughs> wow. And I just thought, you know, this is what you have to try and do to get to any kind of level with a local R&B band. If we can replicate that, we might be... So we started uh, playing it ourselves, and John Lee Hooker, some Bo Diddley's, we had a Chuck Berry, a few Mose Allison's. But yeah, John McVie, who has a big, strong memory to me, because he was really just a, a blues player. He was, at that time, he was actually, he was mad about a, a double bass player called Cliff Barton, who used to play with Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames. And then John got into the Flamingo, then eventually worked with John Mayle, and the rest is history, isn't it? So there's a lot of, a lot of memory with that song for me.
that was one of the wonderful things about the 60s that every single year there was new sounds and influences coming in and even for me listening to Alone Again or By Love in the 90s when I was first getting into music hearing that in the 60s for the first time must have just been mind-blowing. Well the very strange thing about that because we were doing our thing in London with Nirvana and we had Sydney and we were doing the orchestral and um we had a freedom to, Blackwell never said, you mustn't do this or you mustn't do that. Just do what you feel. And Alex used to say, we love that variety to be able to put in, you know, follow our own instinct and path. And um, it was only after we finished, I don't know, maybe we were halfway into all of us. Somehow, I, I don't remember, um, I, I think maybe it was at the Roundhouse. Um, I, I'd been to see a couple of American bands there, like The Doors. There was one weekend that there was a festival with The Doors, Jefferson Aeroplane, Arthur Brown. And um, I, I bought The Doors album on Electra. And then I started looking at Electra. And then I found Forever Changes. <laughs> and the minute I heard it, it kind of changed my life for a couple of years. But the strange thing was, I realized that while we were recording our album with an orchestra, with full freedom, with some complications, because... Blackwell had said to us, you can either have a band or you can have an orchestra, which you want. We picked the orchestra. There was a dilemma going on with Arthur and his band. He didn't hmm. really want the others in the band. He, worked, he preferred working with Bruce Botnick or David Angel because he was a songman. So I could have picked any song of that album for you as my choice. But, I mean, okay, it's a very obvious one because a lot of people know it. But I think it sums up everything of the orchestration of there. His thinking his originality, his lyricism, and his daring, really. And I just kind of think, I don't want to make big comparisons between what was going on in Europe, but I don't know any other band at that time in America who was anywhere close to what we were doing in England. There was one other band I found later, but they didn't use orchestras, who I liked a lot as well, the Apple Tree Theatre. <laughs> Do you know the Apple Tree Theatre? No. Uh, well, check I them out. Um, it's more theatrical. The Apple Tree Theatre is like uh, a lot of different sounds, but it's two two brothers called the Boylan Twins, or twin brothers, and that's on Verve. Mm -hmm. So those are the only two I thought, well, if I had heard them before Nirvana, maybe I would have been a bit influenced. With that. Those influences might have appeared in Nirvana, but I'm glad I didn't hear them because I was able to say, oh, yeah, well, we were doing our stuff in London. These guys were doing their stuff over there. Because Arthur Lee, you know, some of his early material was more of that R&B sound. So it was almost like you were yeah. having parallel... It came from that background of R&B. Yeah, same background and then responding to it and evolving in a similar way, but in a, in a sort of parallel universe. Yeah, exactly. Parallel universe is exactly right.
thing Somebody said to me You know that I could be in love with almost everyone I think that people are the greatest ones So next we have Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London, a track with humour and inventiveness. I, I really loved Warren Zevon, as a, or Zevon, whatever you want to call him. I just really loved him as a songwriter. I liked the fact that he had, his songs were uh, kind of full of many times dark humour because he wasn't the happiest of men. I picked it really also because it had a connection for me with Howlin' Wolf because at the end of Smokestack Lightning... Howlin' Wolf does a howling wolf sound, <laughs> which Warren, Warren Zevon practically copies all the way through his... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's my sense of humour about it. But I still think it's a great song, and it's a bit of a standard, really, it is. for a long time. So those are my four. <laughs> Got mutilated late last night 
It's up to you now, Alex, to have your four. Again, you're picking four tracks that are, are all timeless in their own way. We have Dion Warwick and Walk On By. I mean, the first thing I was thinking this, where were you in uh, sort of 64 when this was released? Were you in France at the time? Yeah, I came. From, I didn't come from R&B. I came from a classical background. And when I heard Walk On By and I heard the harmonies, because I'm talking as a musician now, right? I play the keyboards. I thought. Bert Bacharach fascinated me with his way of thinking, which was not that European. <laughs> As a matter of fact, um, I think Bacharach was, uh, I think he was Armenian, but it's got nothing to do with it. Uh, he studied with uh, classical teachers, and he developed his own style of chords, chord progressions that fascinated me. So, I mean, you know, Walken Bice uh, made a, a real crash when he came out on the on the scene. The voice of Dion Warwick is magic, uh, and the composition is fantastic. I heard many bands that covered that song in all kind of weird ways as well today. You know, even rappers uh, had a go at it, using a piece of the song. Uh, overall, it was education for me, listening to the way Bacharach started thinking music and chord progression. But he also came from a classical background himself. As a matter of fact, during the war, he was the arranger for Balin Dietrich. Marlon Dietrich with uh, Hitler on, in power in Germany. She left Germany and she went to America and she did concerts. She was a fascinating, unique person. And he was the arranger of famous songs, you know. So he had a great experience and a great vision of music. 
very unique guy. That's interesting because there's a Bacharach influence with Love and that they covered a, a Bacharach track and yeah, I guess there's a Bacharach influence on Nirvana well, as well. Probably Arthur was a bit of a fan, maybe even. Very much so, yeah. I can see that linking up, yeah. If you see me walking down the street and I start to cry each time we meet Walk on by Walk on by Make believe That you don't see the tears Just let me grieve In private Cause each time I see you I break down and cry Walk on by Next, we have the Jimi Hendrix experience in Purple Haze. I recall that Jimi Hendrix actually went to one of your sessions. Uh, no, we met him on a television show. No, he never. We never played together. If that's what you suggest, in the studio. No, no. We, yeah, it was in the BBC studio. It was in the BBC yeah. studio. Who was? Do you remember the host of? The, uh, he wrote so everybody. Everyone's gone I to do, the moon. Yeah, Jonathan King. Everyone's gone to the yes, moon. Yeah, I think all his tears. All played. tours have been erased now. Well, but yeah, it was a. Uh, it's unimportant, yeah. yeah. It was good. Yeah, we met him very decent, very shy, almost very retrieved to himself. He was a bit of a womanizer. I mean, a hell of a lot of a womanizer. He approached our cello player, obviously. Who <laughs> 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 was a very conventional well, he girl. He sat down in front of her, didn't he? <laughs> I don't know. He did, yeah. Very yeah. nice guy, I have to agree. You know, he was magic. We, were doing, you, magic. we were doing cheeks on Tony Goddard, on, on, uh, on uh, Pentecostal Town. Yeah, yeah. 
Because you have to re-record the whole song again. At, back there at the BBC, yeah. From true, scratch. True, true. And, and him and Mitch and Noel came through in front of us. These were the union rules at yeah. the time. You know, it had to be really like, oh, it's pre-taped, of course, but from scratch. He said, from what I remember, he said to Sylvia, that's the first time he ever saw a cello. Oh, yeah, it could which be. would make sense. It could be, yeah. And then when he was gone late, later, because he was looking at her for a while while we were <laughs> recording, fascinated, really, he said, oh, I love the sounds you get, ma'am, from that instrument between your legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. afterwards, she said to me, when he was gone, she said, who is he? <laughs> I said, that's Jimi Hendrix. She said, who's Jimi Hendrix? She didn't know she was coming she from, was the from the classical background. classical background. She knew nothing about pop. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, we had a strange melange of people. <laughs> yeah. Makes me laugh. Yeah. yeah, and Jimi Hendrix as an artist, Alex. I mean, uh, I mean, Hayes, I freaked out, quite honestly, because it's a really unique song. There's no doubt about it. And all of a sudden, in the song, he says, "Is it today or, or just the end of time?" I mean, I got the shivers when I heard that. You know, very, very. Crazy song, crazy playing. Unique, unique. It splashed me like, like a torrent.
and you mentioned Alex the influence of Jimmy Webb earlier and now we have one of Jimmy's songs MacArthur Park and, and Richard Harris's version of that so Jimmy Webb's style of, of songwriting had a an influence on you and in a teaching way yeah because obviously he was his arrangement and his chord progressions I'm talking now like a musician yeah were very precious to me because I mean MacArthur Park is like three or four songs together you know that develop the, the, the picture that the lyric talk about I mean he wrote I think he wrote both he had music and lyrics he no 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 oh, Hal, he Hal David wrote the lyrics well, that was brilliant as yeah. well I mean this song you know freaked out everybody it's an amazing song you know especially that move, it moved from one piece to the other to the other to the other and the whole picture is just uh, oh, unique yeah, I, I I loved his way of thinking again, chord progression and uh, harmony. Beautiful song, absolutely splendid. Because people talk about psychedelic music, but there's so many different artists associated with that and different sounds, but actually it was just about having no limits and just following your own path, really, wasn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, which is something that's not happening in today's music because it's all geared towards the one beat that is uh, 120, <laughs> so that nobody stops dancing. <laughs> even, in the, even in the lyric of MacArthur Park, it's psychedelia when he says totally, about totally, yeah. putting the uh, cake out in the rain and Absolutely. the images. Of Absolutely. Fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating. Great lyric.
And you mentioned Jimi Hendrix earlier, but then you've got an artist of the stature with Prince who who could just do anything, really. And the song Kiss? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Because he, he starts almost the whole of it. She's like a woman. He's like, he sings like a woman. And in the end, he goes all the way down, you know, and then you realize it wasn't a woman. It's a man. Multi-talented man. Not a unique, unique character. Absolutely. I've seen so many times of things like YouTube. Just even playing alone with the guitar. It's just as amazing as when he plays with a band. Very rich timber of voices. Incredible. Playing, amazing. Singing, amazing. Great songs. Yeah, the reach of his voice in that song. Something else. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He really fascinated me.
Actually, we have your four favourites from the box set. Okay. And uh, we've got Pentecost Hotel here, again from the, the story of Simon Simapath. How were you writing songs in that early period in terms of collaborating with each other? Um, I think I would say Pentecost Hotel is a 50-50. Right. I think we, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, the lyric was mine. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe I contributed to the chorus. I remember yeah. that so long ago. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the best song of Nirvana, personally, myself. Yeah, it's fine. If I'm pushed to say, pick one. Yeah. Because it captured everything from the magic of that time, because people say it's a psychedelic song, and what is Pentecost Hotel? Is that a trip? Who's Magdalena in the, in the, in the lobby of the hotel, etc., etc.? And um, I've gone along with that story many times in interviews and stuff I've written and things, saying, you know, different people say different things. And I kind of supply them with what makes them feel good about it. But in fact, I might have said to maybe one other person, it was a bit of a dream for me, really. I dreamt that I saw a small kind of sailing fishing board type thing lying on the seabed, um, Mm -hmm. but right on the seabed. And I was swimming with mermaids or like kind of mermaids in the deep water and fish and things. And Magdalena was one of them, I I believe. (laughs) And she was guiding me towards this little boat lying and was a bit kind of, you know, a bit damaged. But right on the side of it where you have the name of a boat, yeah? It's a Pentecost Hotel. (laughs) Now, some people might say, what were you on, Patrick? (laughs) But that's my secret.
Next song. Yeah, so it's uh, you can try it from all of us. How did that song come about then? It, was, it wasn't in a dream this time then? No, 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 no. I think that was just a pure piece of work. And um, I think it's the sexiest song that Nirvana has written. <laughs> yeah. The sexiest. And we didn't write many sexy songs. <laughs> like some, if you look at most of our fans, they're 85% male, 15% yeah. girls. And not, I mean, I spoke to some girls about it through the years and they said, yeah, you've done great stuff, but you can't dance to your music, you know. <laughs> you can waltz to, um, so you can try it, of course. But anyhow, it's a very sexy song and um, full of innuendo. And and I think um, it's probably the best song that Alex has sung out of all Nirvana songs. I think I joined him a little bit on the chorus, but um, he really made a good job because it was crying out to be sung by somebody who had a bit of the French thing, and was new in England, and was a bit Mediterranean. Yeah, he 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 delivered. He delivered on that. So yeah, that's that's why I like it. You know, it's on a great album. All of us. Oh yeah. It sits in there very comfortably. It lifts. Yeah, a lot of the songs on all of us. They kind of all of a sudden one song lifts to another, and the next song takes you a little bit this way, and then it lifts again. Uh, we didn't plan that in continuity. I think it was just. You know, maybe we were writing subconsciously like that. One thing I can say is that we are writing very fast. Most of our songs were written in a very small lapse of time, especially the the first album. It was written about in about two weeks' time, and you can't believe it. Today, when bands take months and months, you know, to do an album, this was recorded in three days. The first day, the backings. Second day, the sing the singing. Third day, the mixing, and that was it. He doesn't mean he doesn't mean you can try it. No, no, no. He I'm means the whole about... of Simon Simon. <laughs> we were fat, you know, it was the but inspiration. Had, don't forget, we had the orchestra. We had Sid Dale. Yeah. I mean, they were writing absolutely, the parts. Absolutely, but, yeah. But, but. You no, know, time was money to Blackwell. And also, um, Ireland put you under pressure a little bit, you know? Write some new songs for the next one, you know? It kept you moving, which was great. That was good, yeah. It was great. Do you remember the day of your birthday? It's alright Touch with your fingers the things that you like Don't be shy You can try
We have your selection, Patrick, from Secrets and, and Two of a Kind. Yeah. What was it out of all the tracks you could have picked from Secrets that, that kind of spoke to you for this? Well, I think Secrets is, people will find out when this box set comes that this is a hidden gem of Nirvana. I don't need to go into the history of it, but we had our hi- hiatus. And then somehow I did a few things, as you know, with um, Vertigo and those people with two other albums. And, you know, we met up again and we, we like we were in touch all the time. Alex went off and did some things with another another um, development idea with a guy called David Betridge at Ireland and stuff. When we met up, we were saying, look, you know, we had our purple patch. We did everything. I mean, we really, with three albums, we said so much. We, we met up again and we were saying, well, we did a lot. We have, what, what, can, what else can we do? What can we try? And, and all of a sudden we both said, oh, let's write a musical. And it kind of kicked off from there somehow. And it went to what it is today. But True, all okay. the little bits that went on on the way, it was put aside for nearly the best part of 40 years. Nobody's ever heard it. So it will be a big surprise. <laughs> but two of a kind, like every good musical, it's a ballad. has the big ballad. The ballad of the musical. And it's sung, I sing, uh, well, it's sung by uh, Aliki Ashman, and I'm doubling up with her in the chorus because it's a male-female thing. And... Um, is classic Nirvana, not with the musicians we had originally with Ireland, but again, like we've always been very lucky to find backers to do sessions and you know a label that will sign you. We found somebody at that time who was going to pay for an orchestra to do it that way. So it's the only orchestral piece in secrets, and uh, oh, I'm very proud of it. Really, I think it's, it's a, a great song. Great song. A, great song. song. a songwriters, you know, it's, it stands up to. A lot of other good stuff. I think so, yeah. Too. Tell me when you've heard it. I don't know if you've heard it yet. Yeah, it's wonderful. And brilliant thing about this box set is that people can finally hear secrets and in a great form as well, vinyl, yeah, which is exactly. the best way to listen. It took a bit of cleaning up, believe me, from what we had. Oh, yeah. You know, we had small cassettes. We had quarter inch. We had a few old demos. But with today's sophistication and... Um, Technology, you can you clean a lot of this stuff, you know, and so yeah. I found great. Once again, 
The final uh, choice from the box set of yours, Patrick, is Lord Up Above from Songs of Love and Praise. When I listen to it, I'm quite moved. It's kind of got that sort of spiritual edge to me. Yeah, it's quite strange that you say that. A man contacted me through YouTube there about a year ago and said that he was a Nirvana fan and he had played it to a son of a friend of his who was seriously depressed. And um, this boy wouldn't stop listening to it. <laughs> he, was, he, he kept listening to it every, every day. And in a way, it was very comforting to him. Now, whether his uh, depression and his personal problems, whatever they were, he was a young man. I think he was in his 20s. But um, uh, I was quite moved by that. Um, and I didn't even think it. the song for me is, you know, sometimes these things come out when you're when you when you write songs. You know, that song I had to write, you know, I, I didn't have Alex's help as a as a music man, I had to find it myself. And so I was limited in my chords and my, so my songs are on that album are quite simple, really, but I think it's got a good tune and it brings out something from me very deep because I am after all a born and baptized Catholic and I believe in God and I believe God has helped me a lot in terms of creativity and at that time, because I was a little bit lost after the Nirvana thing, and I made the local anesthetic, which got us all out of my system, which is a very mad, crazy album, 
I went berserk on that. I mean, that deconstruction, I call that whole album. It's got nothing to do with melodies or tunes. It's just riffs. And, but it's a personal favorite for a lot of Nirvana fans. They love it. With Songs of Love and Praise, I started to get a bit mellow and peaceful again and um, found my way back in my personal life because I was getting divorced at the time. I was had a bit of a problem with amphetamines and drink maybe, and uh, that album kind of straightened me up a bit. So in a way, um, it's my tribute song to my deepest beliefs. Lord up above, I'm so glad that I am in love. In love with everything, in love with everybody. <clears throat> what a way to end. <clears throat> what a privilege it's been to talk to you both together, Alex and Patrick. It was ours. One of the greatest bands of the era, a perfect box set, Song Life, capturing your work 1967 to 72. Doesn't really get much better in relation to a release or a, a podcast with you both. So thank you so Thanks, much. Brilliant. Yeah, look out to. Uh... Thank you, Jason. Thank Take you. care. Thanks a Take lot. Take care. All the best uh, to, into Greece. Lots of Thank love. Thank you, Bye-bye. Take care of yourself.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.